Good morning, good morning, good morning. Happy Sunday, Flat Park. Happy spring. Spring happened, thankfully. I'm out front checking if my tree has started budding yet. I hope you are too. I'm like anxiously awaiting this spring. Um, my name is Stephen. I am going to continue, as Susie had mentioned, our, th- our series between cross and resurrection, where we are looking at Holy Saturday and asking ourselves, what's that about? What's Holy Saturday have to offer me in when I'm out living the rest of my life? But before we get there, would you pray with me? Holy Trinity, we invite you um, to guide us, to direct us, um, and we ask that um, as we listen, we are open to your movement and your inspirations, and we, we ask that you reveal and inspire new things that we had not seen or noticed before within the story. And we love you and we trust you, and it's in your holy and precious, precious name we pray. Amen. 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 We are in the series of talking about Holy Saturday. And when we talk about Holy Saturday, what we're asking ourselves is if, if Good Friday, if Good Friday teaches us that Christ's perfect sacrifice can atone for all of our sins and all of time, and Resurrection Sunday can teach us that he defeats and conquers death, well, what is Saturday about? What can Holy Saturday offer us? What can Holy Saturday teach us? And if you look around the world, people have different ways of interacting with the ideas of Holy Saturday. If you are a philosopher, they have a word for Holy Saturday. They call it an apocalypse. And when we hear that word, sometimes we begin to think about Revelation. And what I would invite us to notice is just that there are macro-apocalypse and micro-apocalypse in our, throughout the journey. And it, regardless of where and how, well, what size those are, there is one thing that's true, and it is that it reveals hidden truths that we had not seen before that brings about some form of disruption or disturbance or destruction. That's what an apocalypse is about. If you ask an anthropologist about Holy Saturday, they might tell you about liminal space. They might talk about, oh, there's this, there's this ambiguity between the way things used to be and the way things are yet to be. They would talk about liminal space, the space between the way things used to be and the way things are coming to be, the liminal space. As spiritual directors, we just talk about it as disorientation. We talk about it in the form of there is orientation when everything makes sense and things are clear, and there's a movement in the story that introduces disorientation when we begin to recognize some rather unsettling landscapes before we may reorient and find clarity again disorientation. And today what we're going to talk about are those few things. We're going to talk about Holy Saturday, but we're going to talk about what it looks like to live within a Holy Saturday that feels like the apocalypse, that feels like liminal space, that feels like disintegration. See, today what we're looking to to identify is what, what are options for us? What are options for us as we journey into these experiences that feel unsettled. Now, if you're anything like me, these Holy Saturdays exist all throughout the journey. Some of them are big and some of them are small. Some of them feel like proper apocalypse, and some of them just feel like, oh, I lost the spiritual and equilibrium of my landscape again. Do you hear that? Are you with me? Like, I, I woke up to this new reality, and I'm faced with and struggling to find control again. 
over what direction do I take? Where am I going? See, today what we're going to talk about is in the journey, when we are walking and heading in a certain direction and bump into a circumstance, an event, an experience that reorients us, a shift happens. We're going to talk about the shift that happens in life that we are, we are, we are introduced into, and, 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 and by that I mean we are, find, we are waking up to the reality that this feels like a new landscape. It feels like foreign territory that we hadn't been to before. It's, it's what I suspect that the disciples felt when they woke up on their Holy Saturday after the crucifixion, right? Where the story that they had in their minds wasn't going to continue in that direction. Their expectations felt unmet. That's the space that we're going to talk about today. See, when I was, when I was a kid, I remember, I'm one of five, so there's like quite a few of us. I've got three other brothers and a sister. And we would get in this like blue GMC Suburban. It was like 1970-something. It like had a rusted out wheel wells and the windows would roll up or sort of up and down. And we would get in this thing and we would head to church on Sunday mornings. And I remember my dad would try to persuade us on the way to church. And he used to like, as he's driving in, he used to say, hey, if you guys behave today, if you guys behave today, we're going to stop at Safeway on the way home. We're going to get some donuts. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm like eight, ten years old. And I'm thinking like, oh, like an old-fashioned glazed donut. Does it get better than Sunday? Like there's possibility right? But I don't remember a lot of donuts in my life. But what I do remember is, I do remember a lot of misbehavior at church going on when I was a kid, because I'm in a pew, much like these. I was in a pew with, like, the rest of my family, and then when the Milburn showed up, we had to be, like, really early, because we would take up, there'd be, like, seven of us. It'd be, like, a Little League team came, like, Sunday morning, and people would be, like, oh, the Milburn's just got here or something, I'm sure. And if we were late, then it would be, like, we would be out, out in the back somewhere, like, disheveled. And so we would show up, and I remember we were at, like, the front right side of this service, and we were singing together these worship songs as we were beginning Sunday morning. And, one of the, and the song we were singing was, Blessed Be Your Name, if you remember that song. It goes, you give and take away, you give and take away, but I will choose to say, Blessed Be Your Name. Do you remember that song? And we were singing this song, and I'm between a couple of my brothers, and we're singing you give and take away. And my brother Thomas leans over and he's like, but mostly take away. And I remember thinking, is this true? Does he mostly take away? And I think that's what Holy Saturday can feel like in some of our story. Is a little bit like, hey, yeah, I've heard that he gives and takes away, and I'm feeling like he's taking away. That something has been removed again. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about Holy Saturday. It's that space, that liminal space. See, I think I regularly wake up to experiences in life where I feel a little bit like, is this a Holy Saturday? Has something just been removed? And I had an experience like this a couple years ago, the day before Memorial Day. And I was, I was out on a bike ride for this training. I'm a big road cyclist. Um, and I was on this bike ride anticipating this endurance event that I was training for months before. It was like four months prior, and, and I'm out riding my bike, and I rode up to Cheyenne one day. I took my picture at the Capitol, 
to prove to my wife that I made it there. And then I ate some Thai food, and then I got back on the bike, and then I immediately regretted eating Thai food. And then I started riding back into town, just east of I-25, like on small little county roads that kind of noodle around the landscape. And I remember heading back into town, and there was this experience when I was crossing the border between Wyoming and Colorado that was just like really gorgeous. And it, it, I looked over to my right, and I saw this, like this herd of antelope, and they saw me. And this herd of antelope joined me as I rode like south down this road. And then so like I tried to speed up a little bit past them, and then they like ran faster than I could, and so I like got out of the saddle and pumped through like the drops of my handlebars to like sprint past them, and we kind of play raced for like a mile. And I remember thinking, and then they like tore off and went back to this pasture, and I remember thinking, I can't wait to get home to tell people that this is what happened, this is what they missed, and have them tell me, no, it didn't, <laughs> right? It was one of those experiences where you feel like, this is indescribable. This is indescribable. And as I was being swept away in this beauty, something else began to happen. And I remember, like, riding my bicycle and slowly being lifted up off the ground. And, I, and as the horizon kind of, like, rose and the sky like kind of opened up and I saw all these like glistening stars. It was kind of, it was glass. And then my bike like spun off in the right side of my peripheral. And I remember thinking to myself, this is what it, I remember probably thinking like curse words probably. But I remember thinking to myself, this is what it feels like to get hit by a car. This is not in my plan. And I don't remember like a lot of what happened next. It's like buried deep, deep down. I don't remember exactly what happened next, but I think there was a crash, a couple stumbles, and then I slid to a pause in the middle of the road. And that's when I remember like my next thought, which was staring up at the sky and not being able to move particularly and thinking, this is going to ruin everything. <laughs> this is going to ruin everything. Like all the training I've put in, everything I'm anticipating for the future has just changed. A shift just happened. In, in the foreseeable future, for me. And instead of continuing to train and go on lovely rides around the hills with my favorite of people, it, it changed into, well, I'm gonna spend some time in a bed recovering from a bunch of broken bones and torn stuff. And I'm gonna get like a lot of people to help Humpty Dumpty get put back together again. That's how it felt. And instead of this taking just like an afternoon to recover from, or six days, or six weeks. This was like a six-month period of where it went from like lying in a bed to like noodling around in a wheelchair. I remember Monica took me, like, Monica took me to go see the Impressionist exhibit at the Denver Art Museum on drugs, and it was something else. And I remember, it, but I went from like on, it, from the bed to the wheelchair, to the wheelchair, to a walker. Like, I was like a 31-year-old with a walker. And like, everyone with, with like gray hair or white hair gave me such grief. Like, everywhere I went, they were like, come on, it's, it can't be this bad. And I remember being like, it's bad. <laughs> like, it's a, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't bad. But everything changed. The shift had happened. And I needed to change my plan. I got into three-quarter crutches and later a couple canes. And I remember my first day working again, I had a cane that I still keep in my office just as a reminder. They're like, oh, you carry stuff with you for a lot longer than you may think. 
I remember sitting there and like writing, standing up with a cane and being like, what is this? This is not the plan I had for the fall of this year. This isn't my plan. And that's what Holy Saturday can feel like. Our plan gets interrupted. It gets disturbed. It gets destroyed. And we've got to change plans. See, Holy Saturday can feel like getting hit by a literal truck in life. And Holy Saturday can feel like getting hit by a figurative truck in life. And maybe you've experienced some of those things. Maybe you've received that diagnosis after a series of tests that leaves you disoriented again. Maybe you've experienced some form of personal loss where you're like, I can't imagine going forward from this. I can't go back. There's no way to return and edit something. There's only going forward, and I have no idea what that landscape looks like or feels like. That's Holy Saturday. That's Holy Saturday. See, I remember leaving a doctor's appointment years ago. Years ago. I remember leaving a doctor's appointment and feeling similarly sitting in my car behind my steering wheel and thinking, it's never going to be the same. It's never going to be normal like that was. It's never going to return to what I had experienced before. I only go forward, and I have no idea what it's supposed to look like. In fact, I remember, I remember being so confused, I was like, I'm not going home right now to answer questions about life. I just need to go and, like, let this settle. And so I, ran, I went to this little Catholic church, Sacred Heart of Mary, and it was, luckily it was open. I went inside this chapel, these doors, and there was nobody inside. I remember sitting inside, and it, I don't know how many hours I was there. It felt like days, and it, but I just, like, wept. <laughs> that was, like, what the Holy Saturday felt a little bit like. I just wept. And not, like, beautiful weeping that we see in Hollywood films. This was, like, sobbing like, turn my clothes wet, whipping. Like, I, 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 that was anguish, is probably how I described it. It was despair. And in that space, I remember crying my eyes out, and I remember yelling. I remember raising my fist to the sky, like an antenna. Do you hear me? Do you see me down here? Do you care? Are you paying attention? Why would you let something like this happen? Can I trust you anymore? Because right. I think Holy Saturday, I think what Holy Saturday does is it opens up holy questions. I think it paves the way for holy questions. I think it's what we read about when we, when we read Confessions of St. Augustine, and he looks to wrestle with and struggle through reconciling how a loving God could possibly take the life of his beloved son. And we're like reading about it. I think, it's, I think it's how Christ felt when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think it's that despair. I think it's that anguish. I think that's Holy Saturday. I think they exist. I don't think, that, I don't think they're an anomaly in our life. I think they're inevitable in our life. See, I do believe, and thankfully so, that we're not the first group to have this question <laughs> of what do we do when there's a shift in the landscape and we're introduced into new and foreign territory and how to go forward. Thankfully, we're not the first group to have that question. In fact, the Apostle Paul helps guide us a little bit in better understanding what to do in that space. In his letter to the Romans, he writes this. 
He writes, the difficult times of pain throughout the world, those, they're simply birth pains. But it's not only around us like in other people's life. It's within us. I have it. I experience it. I feel it. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pains. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. The NIV puts it this way. We are groaning inwardly while we are waiting, while we are waiting for him eagerly. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. For what? For the adoption as sons and daughters. I added that. As the adoption as sons and daughters and the redemption of our bodies and everything else. (laughs) That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the adoption as sons and daughters where there is full communion and revelation between he and I, and I and he redeems and restores everything and I can finally keep my plants alive. Right? But he's, but he's saying, in this hope, in that hope, in this hope, we were saved. That's how he continues. In this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. He says, but hope, but we hope for what, we, we don't hope for what it already is, but we hope for what we do not yet have. And we, and we choose to wait for it patiently. And so in this waiting space of life, we wait with hope, and we wait with patience, is what Paul's suggesting, is what Paul's encouraging. The message translates it this way. He says, that is why, that is why waiting does not diminish us. We are enlarged in our waiting. We, of course, do not see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become. The longer we wait, the larger we become if we wait with hope and we wait with patience. And so we've, we're exploring, like, what does it look like then to wait well with hope and with patience in the midst of a shift in life that feels like it's introduced and brought us into contact with a holy Saturday? Well, hope, Dallas Willard says, is that eager expectation of goodness from God. That's what Dallas Willard says hope is, an eager expectation that there are good things coming that God wants to give us. <laughs> That's what he suggests hope is. And when we consider patience, what does it look like to be patiently waiting? Eugene Peterson says this about waiting. He says that waiting is the refusal to act before God acts, which is really suggesting I'm not going to take control in this situation. I'm not going to go make something happen. I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to wait on his goodness to come and restore and to knit things back together. See, waiting for the Lord, and I think this is true, waiting for the Lord may be the most difficult thing that we encounter in the Christian journey. Waiting. I don't think we get away from it. I don't think it goes away. I don't think that's the point. But I think that how we choose to wait will either determine if that waiting period of life, whether that waiting period of life enlarges us, like Paul's talking about, if it enlarges us, if it expands us, if it strengthens us, or if that waiting period of life harms us, hardens us, embitters us, frustrates us, disillusions us. I think those are kind of those pathways before us. So you think waiting with worry and anxieties and fears, like I do that type of waiting, that's just waiting. 
<laughs> where I grit my teeth and I like wait for this thing to come and pass. That's just waiting. But when we wait, as Paul suggests, with a purpose in mind, with hope and with patience, that's something else. That's, to, that's holding vigil. That's holding vigil. And vigil is this prayer that's offered, traditionally speaking, in the middle of the night, under the mystery of darkness, when it feels like there's no light to be talked about here. This is when you pray vigils. And in that space, what we are doing is much of what we even sang about earlier this morning. We are waiting for him as he is waiting for us. And we get to share the waiting game together. And as I wait for him, he waits for me. And, I be- and, and, and we remind ourselves and choose to believe what is true in that space, that God is with us, as Genesis 28 reminds us. I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. That God is with us during the waiting. That God is for us during the waiting. This is Jeremiah 32. I will never stop doing good to you. He's for us. I'm with you. I'm for you. My personal translation, Jeremiah 32, is, hey, Stephen, I will never, ever, ever, ever stop doing good to you. Ever. I don't know if there's enough evers in there yet for me. Like, I'm not going to stop doing good to you. God is with us. He's for us. And as Deuteronomy 7 reminds us, that he's faithful. He will keep his covenant of love to a thousand generations, which is a lot. He's with us, he's for us, and he's faithful. And he's faithful. See, I think of waiting as active. It's not this passive thing that we do where it's like, ah, you know, I'm just going to go wait over here, and by, by wait, I really mean distract myself until this thing can pass. I do that type of waiting a lot, right? We're talking about an active participation with waiting, in active participation, Henri Nouwen talks about active waiting this way. He talks about it this way. He says, <clears throat> active waiting that pays attention and is fully present to what's going on around them. That's what active waiting looks like. Even to all outer awareness, it's nothing. <laughs> right? That's what he says. Active waiting that pays attention to the full present, is, and is fully present to what is going on around us, even to all outward awareness and appearance, it's nothing. Is that not what Paul is talking about when he says, for in this hope we were saved? We are enlarged in our waiting. We, of course, do not see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become. See, we have role or agency or a way to participate in the waiting. Author Calvin Miller, if you're you're a Calvin Miller fan, I'm a Calvin Miller fan, he writes this in this beautiful allegory around the Genesis account called The Requiem for Love is the name of this book. It's a really good book. If you're, like, looking for a book to read your kids, go read, like, start with the Narnia, Narnia series. Probably start there. If they're not into that, ask, like, pick up a Requiem for Love. And in a Requiem, Calvin will say, Life found itself alive and somehow knew its opposite as death. We are ever being born or dying, and the thrill of choosing is ours. Only once must we be born without our own permission. Only once must we 
die without our own consent. And what he's saying is we are ever being born. In our waiting, we're ever being born into life, some life-giving activity in hope and in patience that, I, that God is with me, that he is for me, and that he will never, ever stop doing good to me. Or we're choosing death, which is just the life-thwarting direction. And he says we're ever choosing one of these two things, and that, that can be up to us. We have agency in that role. See, the shift that happens in life really isn't unusual. We experience them all over the place. We experience them in our marriages. We experience them in our relationships with others. We experience them at work when that, like, 10-year younger junior associate comes and takes the, my promotion. And I'm like, well, how did this happen? And I'm waiting again. They happen in our marriages. When we, come to a cro- when we come to a point in time where we think, oh, a shift has just happened, and there's no going forward the way that things were. And we have to wait. We experience it in relationship with our friends, in relationship with our family, where we are experiencing. I have this experience where I'm like, man, I don't know how they got to where they are today. I don't know the first thing in reconciling it. And I am waiting for him to just reconcile and redeem it for me. They're not unusual, holy, like holy Saturdays in our life. And if you would I, would, I would encourage us to imagine this. Like, what if, what if when we participate or experience these holy Saturdays in life, what if instead of maybe distracting or checking out or experiencing worry, anxiety, and fear, which I've practiced a long, long, long time, what if what we decided to do was tra- like train ourselves in a new pathway, in a new alternative light? What if instead of looking at this Holy Saturday as this final cry into an empty universe, we look at it as, hey, this is a prelude to a final reconciliation. And God is, God is with me, and God is for me, and he will never, ever, ever, ever stop doing good to me, and there is goodness just ahead in the story. What if we choose to live and dream